2015, discussions began among key researchers in the field of stroke rehabilitation and recovery. This resulted in the Stroke Recovery and Rehabilitation Roundtable, who met in Philadelphia in the USA, and resulted in the publication of six papers in the International Journal of Stroke and the Neuro Rehabilitation and Neural Repair Journals. We are now on the second roundtable and things are heating up significantly in the rehabilitation and recovery space. The second published SRRR series incorporates themes of cognitive impairment, knowledge translation, an exemplar of a next generation of stroke recovery treatment trials, kinematic and kinetic movement quantification. Moving research evidence to practice can take years, if not decades which denies stroke patients and families from receiving the best care. An international 10-member knowledge translation working group collaborated over a six-month period. The process was informed from well-distributed surveys to all stakeholders. From this consensus process, five of the nine identified priorities relate to service delivery, and I'll just list these, so interdisciplinary, care, screening and assessment, clinical practice guidelines, intensity and family support, and are generally identified as feasible to implement or at least improve upon. The remaining four priorities relate to a system issue, which is access to services, transition in care and resources, equipment and technology and staffing, and are acknowledged to be a bit more difficult to implement. The task force recommends that healthcare providers, managers and organisations determine whether the priorities identified are gaps in their local practice and if so, consider implementation solutions to address them to improve the quality of lives of people living with stroke. I'm Carmen Leif Jenkins, Managing Editor of the International Journal of Stroke, and I spoke to Janice Ng from the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. Hi, I'm Janice Ng. I'm a professor with the Department of Physical Therapy at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. And I'm also affiliated with the GF Strong Rehab Centre, which is our largest rehab centre in our province. Janice, thank you so much for talking to us about this important paper series, which of course at IJS we're really super excited about. Could you give us a little bit of a background on the pocket of area that you were looking at within rehab and recovery? In this particular paper, we were really focused on knowledge translation. And I think that really came out of what we all want for our patients is trying to get the best care as possible and as a researcher, that means that the research that works gets translated or moved into everyday practice and it not just sit on a dusty shelf as a publication. So that really was our focus, was trying to determine the priorities for what we should move into practice for stroke rehabilitation. Fantastic. So when we say research knowledge, what kind of knowledge are we talking about and who are we sharing the knowledge with? So when you talk about research knowledge and how do you move it to practice, I think it has implications for a number of stakeholders. And of course, first of all, our healthcare professionals, if they're going to take up new treatments and processes, it will affect them. And of course, it will affect the hospital and clinics that we move it to. And ultimately, our other stakeholder, of course, is our stroke patients. So those are the other stakeholders that really this information has most bearing on. 
One of the things you've noted in the paper is that it's not always correct pathway to identify all the research and implement it straight away. Can you explain why that's important? So when you look at the research that is available, there is so much of it in terms of clinical trials that some may be randomized, some may not be, some may be small, some may be large. And really what we have to figure out is what is the priorities of what we should actually move to practice. And so that was actually one of the first things that our group really worked on um, and debated over as to what information and the quality of the information that should be uh, determined to be applicable. And actually, one of the factors was the quality of the evidence. And so was there strong evidence behind that process, intervention, um, underlying it? Was there research that had been done in terms of randomized controlled trials that supported it? But in actual fact, that wasn't the only factor that was actually important. And our group, uh, in many discussions, really felt there was other aspects. Uh, for example... What was the impact on the patient and what was the potential impact that it might have on their quality of life? In addition, we also looked at the impact on the healthcare system and whether it would have impact in terms of providing more services or reducing costs. And lastly, what was the feasibility? Because you could have an intervention that was very, very effective, but Nobody can afford it. It's simply not available in that area. And so because of that, that might have rated lower on our priorities. So this was actually our first um, part of our recommendations is when you look at new interventions coming down to look at not only the quality of, of, of the research, but also the impact on the stroke survivor and their quality of life and the health system as well as the feasibility. So all those factors come into play. Okay, tell us a little bit about the survey that you developed with your working group and what you were looking to gather. So to get input from healthcare providers as well as from consumers with stroke and their families, we developed a survey uh, to get their input. And what we conveyed to them was there was a lot of interventions that are out there and not all of them are done in current everyday practice. And were there any that they felt that should be done that weren't being done? And could they describe those to us? And so from a health provider perspective, I think a lot of health providers are quite aware of different interventions that they wish were being done at their site. But simply there are not, a re not enough resources or people don't have the knowledge um, or education to implement them. And so they listed these out for us. In terms of stroke survivors and their families, uh, many of them were listing uh, programs or services that they wished were available locally in their area that they did not have. So this was the kind of survey that we did trying to figure out what was important to health providers and consumers in terms of what was actually going on in their local practice and uh, region. So from our consensus exercise, we had both a, a working group that was informed by international um, advisory, and then as well, we had input uh, from our survey, which was from healthcare providers as well as from consumers and their families. 
in the end, we actually um, brought it down to nine identified priorities. And uh, we categorized these into three different areas. Uh, priorities that really dealt with service delivery, some that dealt with systems, and a third one, which was addressing resources. So I'll talk mostly about the service delivery one, because I think that was the one that really is most feasible to implement. The other ones often need additional resources that may not be, but there were five areas within service delivery we thought that could be done today, things that uh, managers, policymakers, healthcare providers could change today to improve practice and improve the lives of people with stroke. So one of the ones, uh, for example, was on screening and assessment. And what we heard from people was that, you know, people knew that it is really important to screen for um, things such as dysphagia, just depression and cognition but they weren't consistently being done. And so this was something that was identified by um, health providers across actually the spectrum, not only in one discipline, and uh, people felt that it, it needed to be done more consistently. I think the nice thing that we have identified with this one about screening is that there are really well-structured uh, protocols um, that can be implemented, and we've actually identified some of these in the appendix where you can go. They're on different websites that really are evidence-based of how do you implement a dysphagia screening protocol or a depression screening protocol, what are the actual screening tools that have been validated. So these are things that can be done today and implemented without a lot of cost. They should be best practice. But as we know, they're not consistently done. So this was one of the things, priors that was identified in our service delivery uh, priorities. And in terms of when we're speaking about funding agencies, why do we identify these priorities for funding agencies to target implementation? So grant funding agencies and research have typically funded original research, uh, whether it's developing a protocol or uh, bringing it to trial as in a randomized controlled trial. Uh, but recently, we've actually seen funding agencies much more willing to move into the implementation phase and to facilitate the implementation because they've really seen a big gap between what we've actually shown to work in terms of uh, a clinical trial to it actually being done and, and taken up in the community, whether it's in a hospital or in a clinic or in a community center, um, these practices uh, haven't always been done, even though the evidence shows they should be. So certainly in Canada, and I know uh, in other countries as well, we are seeing funding agencies more willing to fund implementation activities. So if they are, and we hope all funding agencies are moving in this direction, that they would consider our priorities and something like screening for dysphagia and depression of how do you actually move it into practice is research and uh, what are the ways that you can convince clinicians to do this effectively and with fidelity is a research question and really needs to be done to ensure that our research is taken up, moved to practice where it can benefit the patients as it should be done. 
You've been listening to a podcast interview with Carmen Lev Jenkins, Managing Editor of the International Journal of Stroke, and Janice Eng from the University of British Columbia, Vancouver, Canada, speaking about the article Moving Stroke Rehabilitation Research Evidence to Clinical Practice, Consensus Base, core recommendations from the Stroke Recovery and Rehabilitation Roundtable, which is a part of a set of five papers published in the International Journal of Stroke and Neurorehabilitation and Neural Repair on the SRRR second series, each with an accompanying podcast. The International Journal of Stroke is the flagship publication of the World Stroke Organization. Please do consider becoming a member and help us fight the global burden of stroke.